beyond just the words that we're saying, there's so much data in the sound of our voice and truly in the sound waves. I think one of the biggest challenges we're facing up front are those that revolve around regulatory and compliance. Patient must trust that we handle private health-related information in the right way. A patient is more likely to tell the truth to a virtual assistant than they are to an actual human doctor. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Shine, a podcast by Star. And this episode is particularly timely for me personally because whilst being aware of the emergence of voice technology over the past five years or so, I've only really embraced or understood the power of voice in the last 48 hours where in my household we purchased our first ever Amazon Alexa and now have really started to see how the technology has come on and how seamless it is to integrate with that. And so in this episode, we're actually illuminating voice technology from the perspective of healthcare. And to do that, we have four esteemed thinkers in the space. We have Dr. Terry Fisher, who is a physician and the host of the Voice First Health podcast. We have Tomasz Jacek, who is the chief science officer at CardioCube and an assistant professor at the Medical University of Silesia. We have Nason Trelaw, who is the president and COO at Orbiter. And we have our very own star expert, David Box, who is the global managing director of digital healthcare and wellness at Star. In this episode, we talk about how we define voice technology for healthcare. We talk about the big challenges that voice technology is going to have in healthcare. And then we talk about some super exciting things, for example, like voice biomarkers that can actually tell how you're feeling or whether you have some kind of condition just by listening to the intonation in your voice, for example. So let's jump into that. And the first voice you will hear is that of our star expert, David Box. Thanks, everybody, for chiming into this episode of Shine. We're happy to have you all listening in. My name is David Box, and I'm the Global Managing Director of Health and Wellness here at Star. We are really focused around helping our customers realize their products through ideation, strategy, design, and engineering, and then post-market launch support as well if, if required. So we've spent a lot of time in digital healthcare, obviously, in med tech and in the life sciences space, but equally in voice. Uh, we've got a, a great track record here at, at Star in developing and launching voice products. And personally, I've been involved in the voice community going on four years now with some original use cases in and out of healthcare. So I'm super happy to be joined by our esteemed colleagues today here and look forward to uh, the conversation. So it's wonderful to join this uh, great podcast. Thank you for uh, inviting me. My name is Tomasz Jacek. I am uh, Assistant Professor of Cardiology and Chief Science Officer at CardiCube. Actually, for more than six years, I've been involved in the clinical applications of uh, voice technology, especially for patients with cardiovascular diseases. I co-developed CardiCube Voice App, which is deployed on Amazon Alexa for remote monitoring of individuals with uh, heart failure and diabetes. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you again for inviting me as well to be part of this panel. It's a real pleasure and a real honor. My name is Terry Fisher. I am a physician and clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. 
And over the last three to four years or so, I've been involved in the voice uh, tech community. And I just love the opportunity of voice and how that is going to be so transformative in the healthcare space. As a result of that, I started the Voice First Health podcast and uh, I'm a co-author of the Voice Technology and Healthcare book. And we have some of the uh, contributors here on this panel as well of that book. So it's a real pleasure to be part of this discussion. So thank you very much. And we will link to that book somewhere around this episode or in the show notes. Nathan, over to you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, like everybody else, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on this panel. Looking forward to the discussion. As Tom mentioned, uh, Nathan Trollor, president and uh, one of the co-founders of Orbita, or a software company focused on the healthcare industry. Uh, we work with major healthcare systems, pharmaceutical companies, and medical tech companies to help them take advantage of uh, the power and potential of virtual assistive technologies like voice, chatbot. Uh, any of these conversational agents. Our whole thesis is that conversational AI and uh, voice as a modality of those type of applications are the future of how people will be interacting with digital technology, particularly in the healthcare space where the needs for empathy with automation are a priority. And uh, so we have, in the last five years or so, been focused on helping our clients tap into this power and pleased to be in the uh, the company of uh, other thought leaders in the space, David and uh, Terry, old friends now, it seems, after about five years of working. So to kick things off, as I introduced this episode, I think most people listening are going to be familiar with how voice can be used in the home, for example. How, if at all, does the voice tech that we'll be discussing in this episode differ from that already released consumer technology? And we'll kick off with David, please. So I think a lot of what we're going to discuss today is for the most part commercially available or available within clinical settings. There's, there are certain aspects of voice and, and some science behind voice that is taking place and is shaping what the future voice products will look like. But for the most part, I think what we're going to cover today is some of the future looking space, but also some of the real world applications and use cases that are in existence today that are doing everything from improving clinical workflows to providing timely information for patients and, and potentially in some cases, even diagnosing patients or assisting with that diagnosis. Thank you for the uh, clarification. I'd actually like to jump over to Tom Ash now because I did see a video, uh, a demo video, I'm not sure if it's publicly available, of CardioCube's voice assistant well, with a diabetes example. So, Tomash, would you be happy to share more about this technology? Is that out in the world today? Yes, sure, sure, Tom. So, CardioCube gives a patient an opportunity to use voice assistance as a medical support. And I believe there are like really major differences between medical and non-medical voice solutions. Firstly, we should think about voice product design for medical purposes that to have like two main components. One is a voice interface per se, which is a, a communication channel, but there is also a second very important part, which is a rule-based clinical decision support system. The, the system which emulates decision-making ability of a, of a human expert. So uh, this is a pretty interesting concept that voice is just a messenger and there is a lot more in this applications. Also, when we uh, discuss uh, the application of CardioCube for uh, diabetic patients, 
we should uh, think about the end user because end user is a is a patient. So we should really understand what is a problem, what is the context of living of that that person at home, what are the most the common problems. So uh, this is another aspect of uh, you know voice technology from like clinician perspective. And of course, we have to think about the security and um, HIPAA compliance things. So patient must trust that we handle private health-related information in the right way. So all these things uh, we try to, you know, like pack into CardioCube product. Makes sense. Now, before we dig into those further issues that we are going to tackle in this episode, Dr. Terry or Nathan, do you have any examples of voice applications in healthcare that are being used right now, just so the audience can get some context here? Well, the earliest examples of voice applications in healthcare were fairly, I should say, earliest modern examples, because voice in healthcare has been around for quite a while. There have been transcription services that have been available for clinicians to basically record notes at the end of a, a visit. And those technologies have been around for a while. So people may be familiar with something called uh, Dragon or Dragon Naturally Speaking. That's been around for at least 25 years, uh, if I'm right, maybe longer. The difference is that uh, more recently, this, this technology has become much better. It's more accurate uh, thanks to the power of uh, uh, new um, uh, language models and, and faster technology generally, cloud-based computing. We're in a bit of a renaissance for voice over the last four or five years. Um, and the most recent example is um, in, in that time span was the devices from Amazon, Amazon Alexa-powered devices, and now Google-assisted devices as well. So starting from that timeline, uh, the applications that we saw earliest per Amazon Alexa were just question-answering applications designed for patients who had um, a question about a particular chronic care need or acute care need. And those uh, often manifest as just Alexa skills. So those are the earliest examples that we fast forward to now onto more clinical use cases, we're starting to see these devices being used in uh, hospitals and uh, at the bedside even, where um, patients are able to communicate a need to an on-call nurse through a, a smart speaker or a voice device, and at least uh, uh, have a, a way of communicating beyond the red call button, which was basically on or off. So these are uh, those are two examples that are live and in production, you know, orbit of powers of both those types of applications. And there are other ones. David mentioned automating workflows. Uh, we're starting to see uh, uses of voice-powered devices uh, in clinical settings to do things like check um, a patient's uh, prep chart in surgical settings. You can imagine a hands-free experience for things like that. So we're seeing a lot of use cases, but those are a couple right off the top of the uh, top of mind. Well, those are great examples that that Nathan just provided. I'm very interested in the patient-facing type of uh, experiences, particularly being a Canadian physician where there's so much pressure on the healthcare system. Anything that relieves that pressure, I think, has got a tremendous benefit to society, well, to the healthcare system as a whole. And so I break it down into sort of a framework. And I, and I think, Nathan, you speak of this in a, in a similar way as well. But there are, there are experiences out there that are truly educational right now where you just ask, like like Nathan was saying, you you ask, you can ask an assistant a question and you can get some reputable information back, whether it's just simply like a first aid skill. It's a simple question and answer type, type, uh, type experience. And then I think you can move into sort of an experience where the voice assistant can be almost like a care aid or a guide to care. And that 
For example, you know, post-op patients going home and using some type of experience to guide them through their post-op recovery. I think the, the sort of the future looking uh, experiences are going to start to uh, embark on doing diagnosis through the sounds of our voices. And that gets into the issue of vocal biomarkers. And finally, even more future looking, there'll be the question of, can you actually start to provide some type of treatment through the device where the device actually then gives you medical advice in terms of a treatment? So th those are sort of you know where we are today, a little bit looking towards the future. And uh, I think it's really exciting. One, one thing I do want to mention, and I think it might be important for the listeners, like we're talking about voice technology. Why is voice so important? Why is this such a transformative type of technology in my mind? And in probably in all of our minds here. And this is something that I've given some thought to over the last couple of years. And voice as a, as a way of interfacing with computers is very different than using a keyboard or a mouse or a touch screen. And in my mind, it comes down to five main reasons. Voice is extremely versatile. We can multitask while we're using our voices. You can't, for example, drive it and type or text at the same time. So that's one reason. And I use the, the five letters in voice, V-O-I-C-E. So voice is versatile. O, omnipresent. Voice is around you. It envelopes you with sound waves. So you could be looking in a direction and you could hear your name behind you and you're you're aware of that. I is for innate. It's the most natural way that we know how to communicate. When babies are born, they cry. That's the first thing they do. It's instinctual. And now kids, because of computing power and because they can interface with computers by speaking, they're able to talk to a computer before they learn how to read, write, type, text, etc. So that's the I. C is contextual. This is the part that I think is extremely important in healthcare because you can hear emotion. You can hear if someone's depressed. And then you can start to extrapolate and potentially diagnose diseases through the sound of our voice. And finally, E, it's efficient. So speaking is three to four times, as an example, faster than typing. And so when you take those five reasons together, I think this is a very transformative time. I like the uh, way you frame that. The other way I think about voice is that if you were to replace a voice assistant or a virtual assistant with a human, what can a human do? in a conversation with a patient that you could and potentially could emulate or replicate with an automated virtual assistant. And you highlighted the two most basic examples where, you know, a human a nurse or a clinician can answer questions, right? A question for your doctor, you can ask them and get answers back. They can also ask questions to the patient. And those back and forth is, you know, powered through voice is both the voice uh, listening to somebody speak in a natural language way and processing that and forming a, a coherent answer, but it's also uh, speaking back to the patient and voice synthesis. So Amazon Alexa devices have voice synthesis that feels natural and organic, and the technology behind that has improved a lot. So it sounds much more human and approachable. So that those two basic interactions are key. And then uh, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about this, which is the um, extra semantic information that's buried in voice that you don't really get when somebody's just type texting or clicking buttons. Even if they're typing, they may type in words that are reflective or indicative of their wellness, right? They say, um, you know, I can't feel the left side of my body or something like that. Whether they say it or type it, there's some information in that but the extra semantic information that's in the audio itself is pretty cool. Um, so that's, I, I share the excitement, obviously, with Terry on the possibilities here. Before we dive into that excitement, I would like to understand the, the core challenges that both the voice tech uh, is going to face and how voice is going to integrate into the patient experience. 
David or Tomash, could you jump in and share more about the challenges? I think one of the biggest challenges we're facing up front are those that revolve around regulatory and compliance, right? Typing is silent and it's private. When once you get into speaking information about a patient's condition and you're in a public setting, it could pose a challenge. And I think that's particularly why in today's environments and with the technology available today, we're looking at uh, multimodal approaches in healthcare with voice as opposed to a voice only approach. So contextually, uh, I think we've got a long way to go yet in a healthcare setting to fully implement uh, voice technologies. I think there is a place for it. Accidental utterances are a problem and we need to make sure that, that we're safeguarding the privacy of our, of our patients and of their data. And that is naturally a, a hurdle that needs to be overcome in order for this to really realize its full potential inside of a clinical setting at large. I completely agree with David. And that's true that uh, these aspects are very important. I would like to add one thing that I believe one of the biggest challenge is actually on the side of healthcare providers. I believe still there is no enough trust in the technology and we are missing people who will be brave enough to really inject this technology into the uh, healthcare space. And I believe also that we need kind of a step-by-step approach from implementation through testing, like clinical trial testing, well-designed, well-conducted, because the healthcare space, they trust in this. So I believe to really implement in the very broad spectrum, we would need like a very step-by-step approach. And this is a challenge really, from my perspective, at least. I'd love to just add to that, Tomas. Like the trust issue is very interesting because, you know, again, when when you think of a voice device, similar to what Nathan was talking about, taking the place, for example, of, of a nurse, right? As a physician, if I want to assign a task to a nurse, for my patient, I have to have complete trust in that nurse, that that nurse is going to do what I ask them to do and to carry that out competently and compassionately. And if I'm going to have a voice assistant do some type of task that I'm essentially sort of, you know, offloading from my list of tasks and say, okay, here's, here's what the voice assistant is going to do. I have to have complete trust in that voice assistant to be able to, to carry that out competently and compassionately. And so that's something that I've been thinking about a lot is how do you do that? How do you develop that trust in a voice assistant enough so that I'm willing to let my patient be handed off to that device. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, question for sure. I share your uh, vision and like trying to answer this question and because that's what we uh, face uh, trying to implement in clinical practice. As I mentioned, I think we have to really show it through through results published in the good journals really convince people it can work. There is also another aspect, economical aspect, which is a very important uh, component of uh, any technology implementation into healthcare. It must work from like, you know, monetization and, and you know, impact on really on healthcare organization. I still think there's there's an important element that, that we're not taking into consideration in this discussion. And that's in part to what you were saying, Tomas, the, the business aspect of operating 
a, a clinical practice. And, and that's where I also see a huge potential for voice from the perspective of the digital front door. Just take, taking that into account from appointment setting to insurance uh, verification and validation, there are many different aspects of patient onboarding that can be accomplished with voice. Creating appointments, setting appointments, and, and, and uh, changing appointments can all be done leveraging chatbots and, and other uh, voice type, type products. So there are economies of scale there that makes sense for voice applications today in a clinical setting. And it doesn't always revolve around the patient insofar as their diagnostics and, and their, their clinical, their clinical approach, but could also be on the business side of getting that patient in the door and, and, and seeing them and treating them. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I mean, it's a great point, David. Right now, a lot of healthcare systems are dealing with the uh, vaccine rollout. And uh, part of the challenge of the vaccine rollout is uh, people, of course, they need to schedule their appointments. And then once they've scheduled their appointment, you need to continue to check back in with them to make sure that they are still eligible to come in and get their first or second vaccine. And that requirement for that process is putting a huge burden on health systems and their call centers. And um, so any way to offload that is a perk. And bots are an effective way to do that, whether they have the modality of voice over a smart speaker, voice over interactive telephone, or just even a text bot that's delivered on a, you know, on a smartphone. The ability to reach these patients uh, 24-7 through these kind of automated bots has saved an incredible amount of load on some of the health systems that we're working with. And the other important thing is that not just offloading the, um, the call centers, we actually are able to increase engagement rates because the traditional engagement attempts of just trying to call the person, they, uh, they have about a 30% engagement rate, which means that 70% of the people who signed up for the vaccine aren't being reached to confirm that they're coming in for their appointment. They don't show up for their appointment. That slot's gone, right? It's a big problem. With these automated bots, we're seeing engagement rates of up to uh, 80%. So a huge lift. So it improves um, the call center efficiency because call centers don't have to be burdened to place the calls, but it also just simply improves engagement rates. So there's real business metrics behind these these virtual assistants. That even translates into a post-COVID era. Uh, you know, if we if we look at this technology beyond just that, appointment setting in general uh, today. An appointment at a physician is no different than an airplane seat. When that airplane takes off, if the seat's not filled, it's empty, and and they'll never recoup that cost. If a patient is a no-show, the the physician's never going to recoup that cost on that time. And leveraging uh, voice in order to engage the patient, as you mentioned, Nate, is beneficial uh, from a practice operations perspective in general. So yeah, we've we've seen a lot of uh, area of opportunity for just that type of of an application. Yeah, and nothing like a, a pandemic to cast a spotlight on the power and potential of these things, right? I would say a year ago, it was right about a year ago, uh, there was some awareness of the power and potential of these things. But within you know within a month after really things hit the fan, we saw a huge awareness of the power and potential in telemedicine and these automated bots for outreach, virtual waiting rooms. Uh, so yeah. I think all of us on this call have been fans for a number of years, but uh, it's real. I mean, this, there's real business impact, and it's happening now. 
One last point on challenges, and I'd like to go back to Tomash. Clearly a challenge of rolling out or having wider acceptance of voice technology is the ability or not the ability, the incentive or the the patient adoption. Like, are patients ready for voice? I, I'm aware that you recently authored a paper that gave an opinion or, or investigated the readiness of patients for voice technology related to, I believe, a cardiovascular disease. Could you please share what you found in that study? Thanks, Tom. So actually, we uh, surveyed uh, 250 patients with cardiovascular diseases who were uh, hospitalized uh, at the department where where I work. And uh, we tried to understand, you know, whether they would accept or you know, um, accept the voice device uh, at home for different applications, which uh, you uh, mentioned here. So appointments, scheduling visits, having like, you know, automatic drug delivery, long-term follow-up. And interestingly, patients said yes. And the uh, readiness for a voice technology was nearly as high as for a mobile phone. So I believe there is a very good opportunity because, you know, when I speak with my friends uh, at the medical conferences, I discuss application of voice. They say, hey, patients will not accept it. How about the elderly? That's the very common issue. And interestingly, elderly patients, they really are okay with with voice because it's so natural to use. Uh, the, the entry point, the entry bar for using voice technology is relatively low. So it's more applicable. And it's not only the publication which we recently um, published, but we can take um, one from, from a Google Home app uh, for patients with uh, diabetic mellitus 2. I believe the app was called Healthy Coping. And they also showed that patients with uh, diabetic mellitus are really okay and they trust in this technology. So I believe it's not that difficult from a user perspective. You don't have to convince people. You ha- you can just show the example and it just clicks. But still, we have to remember about the, the elements would be mentioned before. So privacy, that must be clear. And people must also understand that there is a kind of a doctor behind it. So that the system is created by the expert, uh, is the up-to-date knowledge. And this gives a uh, like, you know, comfortable situation, I would say. And then final question. So as opposed to pushback or resistance, let's say, on the patient side, David, you mentioned in a recent blog post about uh, healthcare professionals potentially being experiencing hesitation with using ambient computing in clinical settings. Could you share more? Yeah, I think it's really for a lot of the reasons that we've discussed here today. As Terry mentioned, it's trust, right? Do I trust in in the product to do what I need it to do? Do I can I rely on this considering what's at at stake here in terms of of people's lives? It's compliance and regulatory, right? Do we have the ability to speak about the patient and the patient's condition in the setting that we're in? And then lastly, maybe something that we didn't touch on here is just the ambient environment in some of these clinical settings. People perceive ORs to be this quiet, serene setting where everybody's super focused and and, nobody's saying a word. No, they're loud. ORs are really loud. There's all kinds of alarms going off, all kinds of noise happening in the background, and it makes the potential use of this type of a technology very, very difficult because of, of, of all the ambient noise that's, that's happening. So there are many reasons. 
those are a few to, to highlight a few of, of perhaps some of the biggest stumbling blocks, but maybe somebody else here has, has some additional insight that, that uh, they can add. Okay. Now let's move on to what, from my research in preparation for this episode, almost made my jaw drop or it's like this sci-fi esque, exciting application of this technology, in my opinion. And Dr. Terry, I think I saw this in your TEDx talk and we're talking about biomarkers. So the ability, we have mentioned it today already, the ability for voice technology to get more information than from what you actually say. So Dr. Terry, could you share a little bit more about that? And also if possible, the reliability of that technology at the moment. Sure. So this is, as we mentioned, this is, I think, one of the most exciting areas uh, when you look at voice and healthcare. The way that I explain this to people, uh, and this is probably what you what you saw in the talk, is beyond just the words that we're saying, there's so much data in the sound of our voice and truly in the sound waves. And so you can make the comparison to a digital photograph. When someone takes a digital photograph, you get that photo. But in addition to that, there's a lot of metadata, things like which camera model you use, the aperture setting, the shutter speed, et cetera. Well, it's the same with voice. Beyond just the words that we have, there's so much data behind it and just the sound and the way that we say things. So the example I'll often give is I have a son and if he comes home from school and I ask him, how was school today? He may respond, it was great. And then the next day I may ask him, how was school today? And he may respond, it was great. So it's the exact same words, completely different meaning. And as human beings, we can detect that. We can feel that, we know why. But the thing is, if we can feel that, then we can start to put these voice samples and using machine learning, computers can also detect that. And so what that means is you can start to extrapolate and you can start to detect the mental health issues, depression, anxiety. You can start to detect cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, et cetera. And you can even start to detect some of the research studies are showing, uh, for example, cardiovascular disease. There's been a correlation between the way someone speaks and the risk of coronary artery disease. And there's even been some studies and maybe Thomas can, can comment on these. I know there's been a study that was looking at people with uh, uh, CHF, congestive heart failure and mortality rates. So when you start to extrapolate that and you start to realize, wow, the sound of someone's voice can be a diagnostic tool. Again, sort of future looking here a little bit. I wonder if we will be in a, in a place where these smart speakers sitting in homes and sitting wherever they are, are actually monitoring our health in real time and the voice is acting like a vital sign. So that's very, very exciting to, to me. Yes, that's, that's true, actually. Recently, I, I found a very interesting uh, publication from Israel uh, by Elat Maor, who showed uh, that vocal biomarkers are really associated with hospitalization and mortality among patients with heart failure. That was published in, in a journal of the American Heart Association. So it, they showed that the model, which really try to understand the uh, you know how people speak not only what they what they say but how they how they say can uh, really uh, show the independent association with uh, clinical events so strong such as mortality or rehospitalization so it's very interesting and um, I, I really want to create a digital biomarkers lab as a part of the clinical world uh, last Friday, I had a discussion with the rectors of my uh, university and they said yes. So there is also a support for this kind of research, uh, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, this is the intersection of these interfaces of voice with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And uh, along with the examples that Terry gave, Tom gave, there's, um, it is also coming to light that machine learning and computers can detect things that uh, are not obvious to most 
people. I think it was the Mayo Clinic did a study where they were able to prove that they could extract heart rate from somebody's spoken audio with a sample of spoken audio. And it wasn't very much. It was like 10 seconds. So as I'm speaking, you know, with a good, if I had a better quality mic, probably it would help. But um, there are slight inflections in the signal of my voice that can be extracted and recognized by their pattern to be my heart rate. So um, there's all kinds of other audio information that can be extracted. I also heard of a, a scenario in a home care setting where let's set aside the privacy implications of an always on, always listening uh, microphone, but where the, um, the ambient sound that's coming from the home can be indicative of whether if it's a, a, an elderly person living alone, whether they're active and up and about uh, sounds like is the toilet being used? Are they opening the refrigerator door? because they, they can detect the pattern of that sound. And the other one I liked was that it can detect the sound of opening up a bag of potato chips and uh, whether they're eating properly, right? A good diet. I even, I don't know if this is an apocryphal story, but I, I was also told that you can detect the make and model of the refrigerator based on the ambient sound of the um, compressor running. So this is just an example, several examples of how Acoustic properties can be mined for information and applied in healthcare settings. There's a lot more. It's it's mind blowing, really, when you get down to it. So I think you you bring up a, a good point, Nate, about ambient listening right, or proactive listening. And there is a fine line there that we need to toe. But I do see a lot of applications where there is a true benefit, and one of them is certainly in elder care, as you mentioned, from a perspective of not only monitoring their their activity to understand how they're feeling, but also to remind them for medications, to remind them to do certain daily tasks. In the case of patients with Alzheimer's, it could be something as simple as to re- reminding them to drink and leveraging that that data of not hearing a tap or not hearing a refrigerator open to make that uh, assertion that they're not drinking or they're not eating and to, to leverage that technology for for just that purpose. Digging further into the obvious challenge with have a with having a proactive listening device, do we see ways around the data privacy challenge here? Are there technical solutions? Tom, I should like to go to you because you haven't mentioned data privacy a couple of times. It's a good question. Uh, the first thing I believe that patients should know what will uh, what's going to happen with the data and uh, how the data are processed. So, if there is a clear information on that, then somebody will agree or not to use this technology. If you show a, a clear clinical benefit on this, I, I believe it, it's going to help to convince someone or you know, show a real impact on person's life. You know, if we will understand how you live, maybe we can help you, you know, with, some, uh, with some guidance. I believe that's a way to really uh, you know, convince someone. I agree with that, Tomasz, entirely. You know, I think it comes down to a balance between protecting the privacy and the convenience and the value of what what is offered through through the technology. You know, when I when I think back just over the past year with COVID, right? I was I was seeing all patients in person a year ago. And now the majority of my practice is seeing patients through video, telemedicine, through phone, but primarily a lot of it is telemedicine and that clearly is less secure than seeing someone in person because it's traveling through the internet and yet patients love it and they're willing to give up that level of security 
for the convenience and for the service. And so I wonder if that is sort of the, the way this is going to be driven is that the patients are going to re- recognize the value of this. And they're going to say, yes, I want this. And I know I'm going to be giving up a little bit of my privacy potentially with the a potential for, you know, accessing the data by people that are going to do whatever with the data. But I wonder if, if still the patients will recognize the value of it and drive that forward. It is a risk and reward thing, right? And uh, it's an example I've been giving for a few years now. It's, um, you know, those automated toll booths that we all drive through nowadays. There's quite a lot of information that's collected through that automation. They know where you are when you're driving. So they can take a photograph of your, um, your license plate and they know who you are. So there's a lot of information that's exchanged and a lot of um, private information, relatively speaking, not quite to the degree of healthcare, but the rewards of not having to stop and hand coins off to a, a, at a toll booth um, outweigh the concerns of risk. Not the best example, but I think it does highlight that that will be a motivator. In the end, though, it, you, we have to comply with legal and regulatory requirements to make sure that data is secure and private. We need to, and we should be doing that, everybody. And we need to uh, manage the risk of breaches that can happen when data is stored in central places. And all those things should be in place. But it's a combination of that, doing the right thing to make sure data is secure and private, complying with the legal and regulatory requirements, but then also uh, responding to the demand and the understanding of the risk and rewards. For many of the applications that we're doing in clinical settings, there's a a patient waiver that is also presented to the patient where they at least are made aware of how this data is going to be used in addition to complying with all the requirements. Nathan, because you implement voice technology into clinical practice, I want to ask, have you noticed kind of emotional attachment of patients towards voice assistants? Yes. The example I like to give is one of the early projects we did. It was in a um, an extended care setting. And uh, we were doing an, an assessment of the project at the end. And I remember uh, one of the uh, elderly patients there saying, I'm going to not get the quote exactly right, but basically she said, I know she's a robot, but I think of her like a friend. And uh, that's the best sort of uh, test, right? It, whether you've accomplished empathy in your virtual assistant. And not everybody reacts that way. Some people just don't trust technology enough. But this particular example, there was an emotional connection. And I've heard stories about uh, Alzheimer's patients who uh, um, have responded very, very well to uh, virtual voice-assistive technology because, you know, if you're familiar with the, the disease of Alzheimer's, it's not uncommon for the person afflicted to ask the same question over and over again. What day is today? What day is today? And um, a spouse of that individual will really suffer, but a voice assistant never gets tired of that same question over and over again. The worst thing you can do, one of the worst things you can do in an Alzheimer's patient is remind them that they're losing their memory. And uh, Alexa doesn't have that judgment. That's very, very interesting. I, I had a very, very similar observation with a heart failure cohort. Once we did the maintenance, and the system stopped working for like maybe one, two hours. And people were calling our, our support center asking what's going on. And during this conversation, we find out that the problem was that my doctor doesn't see my results. That was kind of a message they were trying to give us back. So there is a kind of, you know, 
understanding that uh, it's not only a voice assistant, but there is a person behind it. That's uh, kind of this em emotional you know, connection we, we found, at least uh, observationally. Yeah, that's interesting. There's another study that was out there, and this might predate the, the modern voice-assisted technologies, but um, they said that a patient is more likely to tell the truth to a virtual assistant than they are to an actual human doctor. You guys are all nodding your head, so you probably heard this story as well. I wish I could find that original report. But uh, it, it does speak to the quality of data you're likely to get, right? It's true. I mean, we had this case at Cedar Sinai. We are doing a, a pilot study there. And uh, when we completed the study, we, we asked patients, what was your feeling? You know, what were your feelings? And they said, I felt more comfortable. Not, not all of them, but some of them said, I felt more comfortable to talk about my health, to voice assistant instead of the human because they don't judge me. That was kind of very interesting and triggering you know, back from them. There's also a study that was conducted a few years ago by uh, Front Porch, coming back to the to the elderly. They proved out the companionship side effect that the digital voice assistant provided. And when they tried to take away the device after this trial, they got a tremendous amount of pushback from the elderly in, in wanting to, to keep the device. Because in aside from the clinical piece, there's all the other features and skills and so forth from these, these digital voice assistants that you can use. And so the elderly actually have another voice in the home. And, and isolation is certainly a huge issue with the elderly. And this helps cut that, uh, that loneliness factor down. Okay, to wrap this up, I'd like to ask each person on the panel what they think is the most exciting application of voice technology in healthcare that we're going to see over the next five to 10 years. And I'd ask, if possible, to try and be as specific as you can. And so we're going to start off with David. So I am most excited about voice biomarkers. I think there's a tremendous amount of potential in not only the diagnosis of patients with specific conditions through voice biomarkers, but also the general well-being and, and health maintenance of people leveraging voice biomarkers. So that certainly is an area that, uh, that I'm most excited about. I actually agree with David. Uh, to extrapolate that a little bit further, you know, if I'm looking out five, maybe 10 years in the future, I'm excited about the opportunity for patients to get personalized care from the comfort of their home, from from the beginning of diagnosis to the end of the treatment journey, basically the whole healthcare journey. So they they wake up in the morning, they don't feel well, they cough, their assistant hears that, it runs through the algorithms, it takes a history, it uh, you know it assesses the vocal biomarkers, comes up with a diagnosis, perhaps then a prescription is automatically ordered, gets delivered by a drone to the home, the patient takes the prescription, interacts with their voice assistant, the voice assistant makes sure that they're recovering appropriately, alerting them if there are any red flags to then see their see their physician. But ultimately, the patient has gone through the entire healthcare journey from the comfort of their home using the latest technology and AI. So that, that's something that really excites me. And I think that can be really interesting because it helps to decentralize the care, but also make it very personalized. I completely agree with Terry and, and David. And I see a like end-to-end -end solution, uh, which allows you to really uh, perform a long-term monitoring, which is like, seamless and it's a part of patient's life at home. Uh, I see a really uh, huge value, not only in voice interface, but also in the another component which is connected with voice interface, which I mentioned at the beginning that we also need a very good uh, clinical de decision support systems. 
uh, th- this is uh, like these two components gives you really a good value because it uh, helps uh, patients and but and also helps uh, healthcare organizations and providers to work with a high volume of data and high, high volume of patients. And I am also very excited to see better collaboration between uh, governmental health agencies, regulatory bodies, tech companies, software developers, patients. So there must be some good platform to discuss many, you know, many issues in terms of application safety, all these aspects which we mentioned. So uh, that would be point from my end. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting aspects of where we are with voice and assistive technology is that the technologies ahead of the use cases, in other words, the power and potential of what can be done is actually ahead of how it's being applied right now. We talked about the biomarker example. The technology is out there. It's the application that is a little behind, in my opinion. And so the you know, having the use cases catch up with the power and potential that the technology is what's most interesting to me. And then to layer on what um, Terry and Tomas said, it's um, codifying those care plans, those journeys, those pathways. It's it's really it's a content and a machine learning. It's a, it's a bit like having a very very powerful website uh, platform with not much content on it. And uh, that's kind of where we are with these voice assistive technologies. Is that really we need to build the virtual systems, the the brains themselves, and they are going to be powered by biomarker. Uh, detection uh, technology. They're going to be powered by codification of care plans and huge knowledge bases that have all the information at the the virtual fingertips of the virtual assistant. So I'm excited about that intersection where we we really catch up with the power and potential of the technology that we have right now. Thank you all. Now, to summarize, Dr. Terry, I I thought your breakdown of V-O-I-C-E is a very easy to understand, accessible way to understand the potential of the voice technology. Nathan, your uh, points about how actually we can pick up more data from ambient noise, not even just from the noise of the patient, I thought was particularly impactful. David highlighting the fact that we should actually try to focus on business value of these technologies to help drive adoption. And then Tomas, your, your points at the end regarding the emotional impact and that actually we may be getting better data from voice assistants than from real life physicians. So I want to thank each of you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. So Dr. Terry, Tomas, Nathan, and David, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you so much to each of our voice experts there on the show dr terry fisher Tomas yajek nathan trelaw and david box it was an illuminating episode i'm sure you will agree if you have any feedback please leave that in the form of an apple podcast review you can simply google shine star apple and you'll find us there we welcome all feedback if you have any ideas for potential topics or people we could bring on the show please let us know as well and we will try to do that for you and finally of course thank you for listening